Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. We're here for season three of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Matt Hayes, and I'm here with my co-host, Rob May. Hi, everyone. And today we're exploring the entrepreneurial side of VC with Phil Bronner, who is a founder and general partner of Ardent Ventures. How are you doing today, Phil? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to to dig in and learn more about you and Ardent and some of the parallels you see between being an investor and and uh, you know running running a startup. So why don't we kick it off with you know your background? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into venture and and what led you to Ardent? Sure. So I've been in venture since 1999. I was with a fund based in DC called Novak Biddle Venture Partners that I joined back then. I was a McKinsey consultant prior to that, very interested in venture, grew up in the DC area. I was fortunate to connect with that fund in their second fund. So the two founding partners had just invested out of a $23 million early stage fund, which I guess today would be a pre-pre-pre-seed fund and had raised 60 million. And so started there as an associate, ended up staying about 15 years. We had about 650 million under management. I invested about 100 million of that. I led 16 investments, had a number of sort of IPOs and many exits, all in software, generated about a 4X MOIC, co-founded a company that I ran for a number of years, and then became an angel investor back in 2017. At that time, I connected with my now partner, Phil Herget, who also was a longtime venture capitalist with a firm called Columbia Capital. He started angel investing a few years before I did. And so I reached out to him when I started and I said, hey, do you want to start doing deals together? We made a number of investments together and that led us to found Ardent. Can you tell us a little bit about Ardent and, and what you're focusing on, how big the fund is and, and kind of what your strategy is? It's always really interesting. I mean, there's just so much capital in the market now to hear how people are kind of crafting their narrative and strategy. For sure. So we have sort of three prongs to our strategy. So I'd say early stage, so pre-seed to sort of early series A or, or post-seed again in today's parlance. And so on the pre-seed side, we'll write a 250K to a million dollar check, first check into a company. And then in our sort of post-seed early A, we'll write a three to six million dollar check and an eight to twelve million dollar round. Our thesis is focused around the transformation of work. And so looking at how automation technologies are sort of fundamentally changing the work, the way work gets done. We have three sectors that we focus on within that. Financial services infrastructure mainly focused around embedded finance. And so of our first five deals, three sort of fit into that. Also spent a lot of time around healthcare and technology. And then the last area is sort of future of work, which I'm happy to get into. You know, we focus outside of the Bay. Um, and so what we basically say is if you look at the way venture has changed over the last 10 years, it sort of gives a sense of what we see as the opportunity. And so if you look at it from the vantage point of a Silicon Valley firm uh, that let's say we competed against 10 years ago. So a top tier firm then was probably three to 500 million. They probably had seven or eight partners there. They tended to be early stage as opposed to multi-stage. 
And their job was to do the best deals in the Bay Area, right? If you were able to do that, you know, you probably were in the best right. deals in the world and you generated outsized returns. So those firms have now grown. So as opposed to being three to 500 million, they're probably one and a half to three billion. The number of partners has grown, but not that much, right? So let's say they're eight to 10, four, maybe they're 15 now at most. Uh, and their job is not just to do the best deals in the Bay Area, but now you have to do the best deals in the world because talent is more distributed than ever. And so as you look at their strategy, they tend to go early in the Bay or with founders they know, and they tend to tack a bit later outside of the Bay, You know, recognizing that great opportunities are there, but they can't cover everywhere. And so it leaves an opportunity for funds like ours and yours to sort of be early stage, be scrappy, get into these companies early and really coach and work with these founders to get them to the point to feed those funds. And so that's sort of where we sit. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to raise money for your first fund? So, you know, I think entrepreneurs sometimes forget that VCs have to go raise money too. And so we'd love to get your thoughts on what it was like to go raise fund one and, you know, what it's like being on kind of the other side and actively pitching um, and telling people about your strategy. Yeah. So, you know, we're still in the process. So we had a first close earlier this year. We're, we're going to have a final close later this year or early next year. But yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? Because, you know, <laughs> what I always say to people is, you know, making money in venture. So the strategy we, we just talked about, you know, I have a lot of experience at that. You know, if you give me 20, 30, 50, whatever million dollars, I'm sure I can generate a significant multiple because I've done that historically. Raising money is completely, it's related to that, right? Because your performance and your strategy sort of play into fundraising, but there's a whole strategy to fundraising, right? And really figuring out how to craft and pitch your story to investors and figuring out which segment of investors are interested in funding your story, right? And that process is an iterative process and it's very humbling by the way. And, and when I compare it to raising money for my venture back company, uh, in that instance, you know, you needed a lead investor, right? And then maybe you needed two, three, four other investors. And maybe you speak to 30 investors, I don't know, plus or minus to get to that lead. Right. Uh, in this instance, you know, <laughs> you're speaking to hundreds, right? To get to the point that you have 20, 30, 40 plus investors in your fund. So, so you have a pretty wide aperture at the top um, and, and, and sort of it takes time to figure out what segment to target, how to tell the story. And, and you still, once you get to that point, have to engage with a number of people to pull together the fund. So, so as you mentioned, you know, as a founding partner, you really appreciate what founders go through on the company side and raising capital. Phil, what's the thing that as you go out and start your own fund and raise money, what's the thing that surprised you that, you know, people from the outside wouldn't expect? I think, you know, I think everybody looks at it as like, um, you know, people even that do angel investing and angel list and like, oh, I'd love to be a VC. It's like, it's, it's fun. It's easy. You just, you know, hang out with founders and then invest in their companies and then collect the proceeds. And uh, there's, there's a lot more work to it behind the scenes. But I, I'm curious, like, what's your experience on like the really the things that you're like, wow, didn't expect that. You know, what what are the things people really don't know? Well, it's interesting because you know I was a long time VC, so I, I think I expected a lot of the fundamental. Yeah, you know, there are a number of issues around being a VC, right? So when you found a fund, 
you know, you're founding a fund that needs to have a 10, 20, 30 year horizon, right? And so as you think about the strategy, you need to think about it within that context because often investors who are investing in you are looking to not only invest in fund one, but want to invest in fund two, three, four, et cetera. Um, and so as you think about your theses, as you think about your strategy, you need something that sort of plays out over that period of time. Second, you know, folks often think about doing great deals and getting into this deal or that deal, which is critically important. Having a track record is critically important. But, you know, team, making sure that you're thinking through, like, how to bring on talent, how to build out the platform, and, you know, and different components of that so that you're, you're not only, you know, focused on the here and now getting into the best deals that you can based on your network and your knowledge and all those things, but you're sort of building the foundational elements to, to build the platform over time. I think the biggest surprise for most is, you know, most people who found funds are pretty accomplished, right? Like, as I mentioned, you know, I've been in venture a long time. I've generated, you know, top quartile returns. Aside from the first fund I invested in where I lost money, by the way, but in the second two funds that I invested in, I was a top quartile investor. You would think, hey, you know, you have a strong track record. You're going out to raise money. Like, you know, there should be folks out there who want to sort of throw money at you. And then you realize when you get out there that there are thousands and thousands of people raising money. And each one of them is pretty accomplished, right? And so you figure, you know, let's say you have a great strategy, great team. You know, maybe that gets you in the top 10% of people going out to raise capital, but that's still three or four or 500 funds, right? So you have to be in the top 5%, top 2 or 3% to really be able to raise capital. And so I think, again, that's where the humbling piece comes in. I think a lot of folks go out there and sort of feel like, hey, you know, it's not going to be as hard as it ends up being because they feel like they bring a lot to the table. And, and it, you really have to dig deep and really, really understand what makes you unique to be able to tell that story to, to investors and raise capital. And that just takes time. So Phil, you know, we, we talk a lot of times about startups pivoting. Do funds go through this? Did your fund go through this? Did you change the strategy after some interactions with initial LPs? So I wouldn't say a fundamental pivot, but I would definitely say it evolves. And I'd I'd say it evolves really along two dimensions, right? So one evolution is what I sort of alluded to earlier, which is you sort of evolve how you tell your story, right? So you're not necessarily changing the strategy, but you're definitely changing the way you pitch it to investors. And it's not just changing the way you pitch it, but you're really forced to get to the essence of what makes you unique, right? And so I'd say that process initially may be a little frustrating, but actually it's very illuminating and it can be super helpful to fund managers, right? Because over time, you know, that really honing in on what makes you unique, you know, is going to be your competitive advantage over time. And so it really helps you to focus in on that. And so I'd say that's the first piece. And then the second piece is, you know, after you have your first close, you're starting to do deals, you're out there, And that sort of helps to inform your strategy as well. You know, we were angel investing prior to, and so we were pretty active in the market, but at a different stage, you know, we were more focused around the pre-seed angel stage as opposed to the post-seed early A stage. And so as you start to write those checks, as you start to hire your team, as you start to develop a broader pipeline of deals, 
that starts to change your, your approach a little bit as well. So for us specifically, as it relates to our strategy, when we started, we, we sort of focused in on a few markets. So um, DC, you know, mid-Atlantic. So that for us, that was sort of New York to DC, Boulder, Denver, and Atlanta. And in each of those markets, we have CEO partners who are sort of on the ground and supporting us. You know, they're, they're each very accomplished. They've run billion dollar plus companies, just super great folks. As we started to execute the strategy, you know, we started to see that our network coupled with the data strategy, coupled with being thesis driven, really started to generate deal flow across multiple markets, not just those. And so as we started to execute, we started to see that it really wasn't about those markets. It was just more about being outside of the Bay Area. So one of our deals is in Austin. You know, we're looking at another deal now in Miami. We have another deal that's actually in India. You know, so, you know, I'd say that aspect of the strategy evolved a little bit once we got into market. Phil, what's, you know, the, the largest challenge you faced running the fund thus far? Like, you know, if you had to pinpoint one thing that was, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, um, you know, and, and being a founder of this firm, you know, what do you think is the kind of most challenging thing you've run into thus far? So, you know, for me and my partner, you know, as I mentioned, we have a lot of experience here. And so I think that the hardest thing for us to really appreciate is that we're a first-time fund, right? We are a first-time fund and investors will view us as such. And when you're viewed as a first-time fund, it's very difficult to raise that that that, that first set of, of checks, right? Because they're taking not just a risk on your track record, but they're taking a risk on the fact that you two are working together for the first time. And this is the first time you're pursuing this strategy. And you know, you're hiring this team for the first time. So they're number first. And as a result of that, you sort of have to really internalize that, although you may bring quite a bit of experience to bear here that, you know, from a institutional investor or any investor looking to invest in you, you know, you're a first time fund. And there's just a lot that goes into that. Now, what I will say is, it's a very humbling and tough process, but it's really quite good, to be honest with you, because it just forces you to really focus in on, again, your core differentiation and then really invest against it, right? As you look to build out your capabilities as a fund. And so, you know, it's been painful at times, as you can imagine, but I do feel like we're a bit stronger as a result of that process. That's awesome. And, you know, you've sat on boards for a long time. What's kind of the largest parallel you see between being founder of a startup and a founder of a venture fund? I'd say, you know, I've founded a company before, right? So I'd say what's similar about it is that founder mentality. So when you back a founder in a company, you know, you're backing that individual and you're backing that individual because, you know, of a variety of reasons, right? You believe in their thesis and you think they're uniquely suited to go after that particular opportunity. You think that they're going to be able to attract talent. Uh, and you believe that they're going to have the resolve to walk through a wall when it's necessary. And I think all of those things are similar with a founder of a fund, right? Like, you know, when you're, when you're founding something new, it is difficult. You know, on the venture side, we often say, 
a company buying a product from a startup, you know, is sort of an unnatural act, right? Like if they could buy from a company that's been around or who's a vendor to them, they would do that. And so it makes it hard when you're new to sort of convince somebody to support what you're trying to do. And I think the same goes for a fund. Like when it's, it's easy to put another 5 million into a bold bracket fund, right? And it's, it's hard to convince people to part with their capital and, and give it to you. And so I think that's similar in a lot of ways. That's awesome. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, Phil. So what do you think about the near and midterm future of venture? There's a lot of interesting forces that are impacting venture now, Uh, you know, more money than ever in the market, more types of LPs wanting venture exposure, you know, lots of emerging funds, AngelList and all the stuff that they're doing, the rise of solo GPs. You know, where do, where do you think all this goes and, and what do you predict happens to venture capital? How, how is it different over the next decade? Yeah. So I'll start again 10 years ago. Sort of if you look at where we are now, I, I'd say, you know, I, I guess 10 to 15 years ago, sort of post financial crash. Basically, what happened over the last 10, 15 years is that you've been rewarded for paying a premium, right? So if you if you look at an associate, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, who was thought to be crazy for paying 8x revenue for some interesting opportunity, they were then rewarded because two years later, somebody paid 12 or 15x and the company grew. And then that fa- that associate then becomes a partner and, you know, gets rewarded again for paying 15 to 20x and then gets rewarded. So like what's happened is we've, we sort of the, the market has been going up and to the right for the last 12 years. And as a result, we are where we are now. Now, at the same time, if you look at opportunity, it's grown significantly as well, right? So, you know, I was just talking to someone before this, uh, before we got on this, and I was saying 10 years ago, like a billion dollar opportunity, that was a huge opportunity. Like people were spiking the ball, super excited. You know, now, you know, it's 10, it's 20, it's 30, 50 billion dollars. Like those are the sort of the outsized outcomes. And, you know, like as a result of all of that, the asset class is doing really well. There's more opportunity across more sectors than ever before. As we were talking about earlier, the opportunities aren't limited to the Bay Area. You know, they're, they're global now. And so I'd say part of the increase in capital is justified based on the opportunity, you know? That being said, valuations are obscene right now, right? Like I was talking to a fund earlier this week where there's a company doing 10 million in revenue that's valued at $1.2 billion. Like that's insane. So I do believe there will be a correction, but it will be different in kind than let's say the correction I lived through back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Because at that point, there weren't real companies underneath. Like now I see a lot of innovation, more than I've ever seen in my career. I'm seeing very attractive companies growing obscenely quickly. They're just overvalued, right? So maybe there's a correction, values come down. But I think underneath it all is real innovation and real companies that should be able to withstand this. That's great. Curious what you guys think. Well, I, you know, the way that I kind of think about it is the exits are getting larger, as you pointed out, and 
that I think there's, you need to be in the right opportunities because if you're in the right opportunities, you're going to have bigger exits and the venture models, the math is still going to work, but there's tons of startups and where the entry valuations are right now. If you're not in the right opportunities, it's going to be really hard to outperform. And I think that's just across the board, what's going to happen. And I also think access to opportunities continues to get tight allocations, things of that nature. And so, you know, truly having kind of a a proprietary source of opportunities, I think is, is just, hyper important. But I really do believe that it's it's just about being in the right opportunity because of how big the exit numbers are getting. And given that the valuations are higher, I think there's going to be a, a larger, kind of a larger spread of performance in venture in the coming years. I agree. And I think, you know, as I think about what you just described, it's why I like the early stage, right? Because I think from pre-seed to post-seed early A, I think the valuations aren't as crazy as they are in in later stages. And so you can still get in at a reasonable, I mean, they're, they're higher than they used to be, that's for sure. But relative to the potential outcomes, I think they're still reasonable uh, and you can do quite well. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to get your perspective on venture and you know, running a fund. And, and it's, been, it's been really great to, to get all of your thoughts here. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem at all. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcasts at pjc.vc.